call is now being recorded. We are SC Podcast. Gary Pasquitz joined by Daryl Rideau, and this is the USC Stanford Review. Daryl, I don't know that many people want to look back at this game. Uh, many Trojans want to look back and talk about this one too much, but we're going to because this was a different game, Daryl. Trojans lose 17-3, to and uh, there have been some big losses for USC in recent years, Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, uh, to name a few. This one felt different because I don't think this was a great Stanford team. I think it's a good Stanford team. You look at many of the stats, Daryl, the, the, the stats tell you the SC was right there. You know, time of possession, 29-17 to 30-43 in favor of Stanford. Yep. Total yardage, 332 to 342, pretty darn even. Uh, the Trojans had 21st downs to 13 uh, for Ohio State. Let me give you a real important one that jumps out to you, third down conversions. 8 of 17 for USC, 4 of 13 uh, for Stanford. But the big one, Stanford in the red zone, 3 for 3 with two touchdowns. USC right. 1 for 2 with only one field goal. Daryl, I'm throwing all of those stats out the window. This was a, a, a pretty classic physical game, and uh, that's where the Trojans lost it when you're talking some issues with play-calling play decisions. Those little tiny things between two evenly matched teams were the difference sure. in this football game, I thought. You know, and, and I, I think whenever whenever it comes down to USC versus Stanford, as recent history tells us that these games are going to be physical and these games are going to summon more out of the players than the X's and O's. And what I got from this game was, like you talked about, it was very balanced from the time of possession to the, the yardage. And, in fact, you can argue that USC had 15 more plays than, than Stanford. I think Stanford had like yeah, 57 right. plays, you know, and uh, SC somewhere around 73. Uh, but the difference was – Yeah, yeah. But the difference was the execution within those plays. I, yeah. I thought that, that Stanford, maybe it was perhaps playing at home – in gaining confidence, wasn't a big crowd, so you can't say that the crowd played a huge factor. No. Okay? No. So I, I, I'm not going to give the, the crowd credit for that because I, I thought that this is, a, from a, um, an experience standpoint, the majority of the players have experience playing Stanford. This is their third game in the last 13 months. So, you know, um, there's a lot of familiarity. But what I noticed was, for some reason, when USC goes into or went into this game plan in particular, they they went in with the I'm referring to USC offensively to start off, Gary. They went in with some scripted plays, and as the game starts to develop and unfold, sometimes you almost have to deviate and go away from your scripted plays and take what the uh, the defense is giving you or offering you. And as you're rotating in certain personnel, you begin to realize that certain personnel is kind of made and geared towards this type of game, like a Vavai Malapiai, is perfect and ideal for this type of physical game. Not to take anything away from Aka Cedric Ware or the home run threat capabilities of Stephen Carr. But mm -hmm. some tires and some trucks are built to last, and, and Vavai Malapiai was built for this type of a game why they did not feature him more in those early on packages to really kind of establish a physical running game and then maybe finesse it off with Ware and, uh, and, and, and Stephen Carr, I'm really not sure. But I thought that for some reason this game plan was somewhat tone deaf to the, the degree of attention to details that it requires to outwit, outsmart, 
and out physical a Stanford team that is oftentimes well coached. And, and I think you can see a, a real good example that you talk about changing in personnel um, is when JT Daniels went out early and you had Matt Fink come in, and I thought the coaches did adjust right there. Uh, Matt Fink went on a 13-play drive, Daryl, where 11 right. of the plays were runs. Um, there were four first downs within that drive running the football. It took 5.39 off the clock. It was almost like, uh, you know, unwillingly or unwittingly, you kind of found something that worked. Uh, you ended up with a 53-yard missed field goal attempt, but that was a really nice drive that was kind of dictated by Matt Fink coming in, and I, I thought it caught Stanford off guard somewhat. Right. But when Jay but, but Gary, let, let's, give, let, let, let's give some credit to Matt Fink, okay? Oh, um, sure. coaches, the, the, the coaches gave him a lot of praise about his ability to check into his understanding of the running game and his ability to check into the right protections and the right run play, okay? And that just comes with having additional reps in having a somewhat more uh, body of work, okay? Perhaps JT Daniels isn't that far along in his evolution within this offense because week in and week out, your game plan is specifically for an opponent. But thinks, I thought his poise um, coming in as a reserve and understanding what is expected of you, but also recognizing what the Stanford defense was giving and perhaps – adjusting, you know, where if a play was called designed for the, uh, let's say, the strong side, he was able to maybe find a weakness and check it on the same play but flip it to the, the weak side, proved to be the difference on that drive. And initially, I was unaware of what happened to JT Daniels, and I'm kind of curious if you realized that he had maybe, you know, gotten banged up to the point where he was under evaluation. Because I was like, uh-oh. When I saw Fink come in, I'm like, here we go again. We're tinkering with the offense. We're tinkering with the personnel. What is this all about? But I was pleasantly surprised, understanding the circumstances, how uh, Matt came in and was able to, to sustain that drive. It didn't lead to points, as you alluded to. Um, not sure if I would have kicked a 52-yard field goal in that, uh, or attempted a 53-yard field goal attempt at that juncture, but I can certainly understand at, at that point um, think did all that he could do to put them in a position to at least uh, score points. Yeah, I, I wasn't. You know, you, you you saw Fink come in at first, and he had come in for a play last week, and it, it seemed awfully quick in the game. Wow, this is a strange spot to be uh, inserting Matt Fink. Uh, but then you kind of realize, and, and we actually. Uh, had the binoculars in the press box and was looking on the sidelines and didn't see JT, and but could see that there was movement in that observation tent. And yeah. what tipped what tipped it off really was that there was TV cameras trying to the you know, the Fox sideline camera was trying to get a shot inside the key, inside that observation tent. So figured okay, you know, JT's probably in there. But I'll be honest, Daryl, if JT had not been able to come back in. I'd have been fine with basically thinking, and we're running the ball the rest of the way. You know, if we got to throw right. five, six passes, okay, you know, but I, I would have been just fine with it. And there's, there's a reason why, Gary. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason why. Because at that point in juncture, I thought that uh, the Cardinal defense game planned for a heavy load of passing. They knew who they wanted to target and who they wanted to take away. And with with so much attention after the UNLV game uh, given to Amon Ross St. Brown, Stanford was determined early on 
to bracket, put two defenders on Amon Ross St. Brown, and take away what they perceived to be JT Daniels' primary target. So what I thought we saw was a heavy dosage of Pittman and Tyler Vaughn, but throwing to Pittman and Tyler Vaughn outside the numbers. Those are low-percentage routes. And they kept picking on one of the corners who was a younger corner, this kid, um, Adobo. And he held his own um, from Stanford. He held his own for um, the majority of the game. Um, Tyler Vaughn and Bill Pittman were lined up against him. I was too. You know, I I thought that there was too much attention, too much emphasis and focus on driving the ball to the primary receiver versus allowing for rhythm routes for JT to sit in the pocket and, and, you know, uh, with timing routes, maybe hit a couple of crossing routes or speed outs to tight ends, running backs coming out of the backfield, trying to create the mismatch. And the way the reason why I suggest that is because coming into the game we were we were informed which USC would have known that Stanford uh, had been playing with some backup safeties. So if you're rotating new safeties, why don't you test them? Why don't you isolate your key key guys, whether it's Bayless Jones or Amon Ross St. Brown, in the slot? But instead, I thought because there was so much attention, Gary uh, discussed from us in the media about the lack of chemistry with um with Tyler Vaughn and Michael Pittman I thought that that area trying to exploit those matchups was a little forced and it got us out of rhythm of the running game and ebb and flow of a speed passing game which would allow for in my opinion uh JT Daniels or even Matt Finks for the little time he was in there to develop a timing rhythm and soften up that Stanford defense we didn't see that Okay, and then we come to an interesting decision, Daryl, at the end of the first half. Uh, and you and I think different on this, so I'm, uh, we're going to have uh, both of us kind of give our reasoning for why we would have done what we did. But uh, USC comes to a fourth and two, and, uh, you know, near, near midfield. And so you have the decision right there, and the score is 7 nothing at that point. Uh, do, do you punt? Do you go for it on fourth down? And if indeed you go for it, what is your play call? Um, I, I, I personally at that point would have punted, and for these reasons. Uh, there hadn't been much done on offense on either side, so you weren't doing much. But also, if you punt and pin them deep, chances are very good that Stanford isn't, isn't going to march the length of the field, and so you're going to go to the locker room at 7-0, and you can sit there and really figure out, you know, you're getting the ball, where, where, where are we at, what are we doing, how can we tinker with this and go. Um, that's why I would have punted, but you would have gone for it, talk about why and what your play call would have been. Uh, okay, so um, when you think about this play in particular, you have to think about the psychology of what we've come to know of Clay Heldon as a head coach. Okay, um, he's very methodical about his his um, his approach, and and when he's assessing the situation, oftentimes he's a high percentage guy. But this felt like it was a gut decision to go for it on fourth and two. Now. I'm, you know, I can certainly see it from your perspective because you know that you're going up against a team that is virtually identical to your team and how you're built, right? So mm-hmm. why give a short field if things don't go well? So in that regard, it felt like yeah. high risk, right? Yeah. A high risk situation, yeah. and it might have been too early in the game to put your team in that situation. But if you're going to go for it, which I supported, the fourth and two going for it. What I did not support was the personnel on the field. 
you're mm-hmm. going to go for it in that situation and you're not going to pay uh, play a, a traditional fullback, then why not put a big body back like Vavai Malapiai in the backfield? So if you're going to hand the ball off and try to get two yards, okay, rather than um, allowing that defense to get set, allow Vavai Malapiai to lean on that that um, that offensive line, press forward, and I'm sure that he can he can um, accumulate two yards. He can roll over for two yards. So mm-hmm. in that situation, while I respect the fact that this coaching staff is all about balance and all about we run a system and we just plug and play guys, there's there's this um, awareness where I think sometimes a script can cause a coaching staff to become tone deaf to personnel and to the situation. And in that situation, I would have had big on big. I would have had a more physical back in the backfield where at the point of contact, if he was hit, he could still lean and get you that extra two yards to extend the drive. So what's what's the probability of getting it? Felt lower, and he should have perhaps punted it. But I understand what he was probably thinking, Gary. You know, extend the drive, try to get some points on the board before halftime because we get the ball back. So it's like a two-for-one. But instead, you, you really lost momentum. You deflated your team, in a sense, and you gave air and, and, and momentum to Stanford. And so instead, you go down – um, a couple touchdowns. Was it what? What was the score going into halftime? I think it was, uh, it was fourteen to three. Nothing. Yeah, fourteen to nothing. I want to. I want to talk about that drive that Stanford had um, a- after the turnover. So they get the ball at midfield, uh, four straight completions, and, and it resulted in a touchdown. Daryl, it was four passes. Um, I, I don't want to say they were basically jump balls, but there, there was nothing special about them. Uh, it was what we knew was coming from those taller receivers and tight ends that Stanford has. But uh, yeah. Ronnie Lott was on the sideline uh, of the game, and uh, he was bemoaning to someone the fact that it's not so much that they're catching the passes, but if they're going to catch the passes on you, make them pay. Make them pay, yep. And, and that's what that's Ronnie's spoken, game is all spoken, about. Obviously. Spoken like a leader in the secondary, okay? Right. And, and Ronnie, who, who better than to, to make a statement like that? You know, at SC he played corner, but um, he's probably most known for his toughness as a safety. Okay, so what what he really means is Gary is I think that Clancy Pendergast went into this game plan with the right um, with the right concepts in mind. He was getting tremendous pressure from the interior, forcing Stanford's um, forcing Stan- Stanford's running game to and Bryce Love to bounce things outside. So if you're going to fan things outside, it's very important that not only your your um, your edge defenders, um, Christian Rector, whether it's um, um, Porter Gustin, those guys keep contained. But if it gets outside of them, now you got to get your corners involved, and your corners cannot get sealed because what's going to happen is it's going to create downhill alleys, and that's what we saw with Bryce Love. So the issue that I had with the game plan, and the reason why I think Stanford was most effective was because the secondary and the front seven were not in sync with one another. You have to move in unison with one another. If the if the front seven is putting pressure and getting effective pressure on Costello, although they didn't sack him, they put a lot of pressure on him. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, mm-hmm. Where the secondary let them down was they played a soft coverage, off-man coverage in the um, behind that. Oftentimes, I've seen them at 10 yards, and then when the, when the ball was snapped, backpedaling an additional three. 
and it was catch and go for Costello. So when he saw pressure in his face, all he had to do was slide the protection, you know, and find a window and play catch with the uh, with the receivers like Whiteside and those tall tight ends. Even if the corners would have gotten their face, put a little contact, rubbed on those um, receivers, forced them to to change their um, their route patterns. That might have forced Costello to hold the ball just a little bit longer. Now you can play your text games, your tackle in exchange, and, and, and perhaps those stunts get to the quarterback with havoc. We didn't see that because I thought in this particular game, the, the highlights that they saw of Whiteside and the, the height of those uh, tight ends got in the heads of the secondary. Now, someone asked me during the course of the game, Gary, what type of adjustments might it could have been made other than what I just alluded to? And the first, my, my initial response was being a, a five foot nothing defender, okay, who, who who played in USC secondary. Well, I know that on the sideline or in the or um, at halftime in the locker room, no one's going to grow another three or four inches. So you're not going to be able to replace what you have on the field to to, to match up six foot five or six foot seven, you know, um, against six foot five or six foot seven. So you have to be physical. You've got to get your linebackers when those tight ends are coming up the field to put an elbow on them, to drop a shoulder pad on them, just to create that, 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 that physicality and get them off their mark. Because they did not do that, it created little soft mushroom pockets in the middle. And like you said, it, it almost felt like a small, uh, a small fort posting up, getting the ball in its spot uh, in basketball and able to hit a high percentage shot. You're never going to win in those situations. Even if you're, you know, um, and if you're USC, you got to understand those situations, and you got to understand the type of heat that your your uh, your line was given, because that was your chance of, of flipping the field. Okay, and and then we talked about on the, uh, you know, you, you come to that decision on fourth and two, and the thought of getting into the locker room to readjust. Um, yeah, we came out in the second half. And, and had arguably, I thought the two best drives of the day. Well, outside of Fink's, um, two times where we drove deep into Sanford territory. Once to the 14, right. once to the 36. Uh, the first one was, you know, a 45-yard completion to Pittman that got us down to the 14-yard line. We ended up kicking the field goal. Uh, another red zone opportunity lost. I want to miss, uh, talk about that in a second. But then the next drive, um, we have within that drive four first downs on running plays including a JT Daniels scramble on a, for eight yards on a first down. Um, we, we found something, and, but again, yeah. it stalled at the 36. And so it, it's been a consistent issue, Daryl. Uh, obviously, you, you miss opportunities down there, but this thought that when we get down deep into the opponent's red zone or, or get these kind of opportunities, we are struggling with much less getting touchdowns on the board. Uh, right. And in this game, we only got the one field goal. Because it comes down to spacing. It comes down to understanding matchups and, and your spacing. And the closer you get into the red zone, those large windows that you see in, from the 20 to the other 20, that 80, uh, that 60 yards in between, what, what, what's happening is when, when you're driving and you haven't crossed quite crossed the 50, defenses are more concerned about the ball going over their head. So they're playing soft or maybe even zone coverages. Well, the closer you get to the red zone, um, the, it becomes – Length in the width of the field, as opposed to um, as opposed to trying to stretch them deep. So what you're seeing is those windows are starting to to shorten, and now Daniels doesn't have the same reads that he once had before. So where they where USC was very effective in the running game, 
now the the the, um, the linebackers can react to the run first because they have time to recover because they don't have to run so far. And so you started seeing the, the linebackers hug up closer to the line of scrimmage, and now they can play their stunts and run their games. Where I thought that USC missed their Mark Gary, which would have helped them, was to soften up the middle of the field by putting those vertical threats, having confidence that eventually, you know, um, that either the tight end or if you weren't getting the production out of Tyler Petit in this particular game because he was uh-huh. being physically um, handled by those linebackers and safeties, I thought that you could have put slot receivers there to force them to respect the threat of throwing in the middle of the field, which would have opened up the running game for you, or perhaps put uh, allowed for JT to get in rhythm because now he's throwing high-percentage passes. We didn't see that. We didn't see those necessary adjustments. And so it just felt like even though um, the game felt balanced in terms of, uh, of plays and time of possession, the score felt overwhelming because I'm not certain that USC felt like they can climb out of that hole and be patient enough to continue to lean on that running game. And I would say that the rest of the game from those two drives in the third quarter, the rest of the game was feeling that pressure to just throw and catch up. And and I want to ask you about how you thought JT handled his first road test in in a minute, but I'm also going to make the point in in talking about the way they had to throw the ball at the end. Uh, Those two picks that he had, I'm not worried about that for JT. He was chucking it at that point, just trying to make something happen at the end of the game. Um, so I'm yep. not worried about that. But I want to ask you two questions. Uh, how did you think JT handled his first road test? And did you think that we did enough to help take some pressure off him? That the defense was not, was not able to, like you say, create any sacks, create any turnovers, any big plays, and then the way the offensive plays uh, were called, it seemed kind of like they went into it a little bit with, you know, Okay, JT, go do your thing and win us this football game. Right. That's a um, lot to put on a true pressure. And it's a lot to put on uh, any quarterback, let alone a, right, a young true. quarterback, you mm-hmm. know, a, tr- a true freshman coming in. So I, I didn't think that this particular game was overwhelming to JT. I thought that he came in with the right mindset and the right attitude. and. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he didn't have that deer-in-the-headlights look. I didn't see that when the camera, because no. I watched the game from home, when the camera zoomed in, in on his eyes. I always saw the confidence there. But where I thought the game plan let him down is they relied heavily, and they put him in situations where he had to throw outside receivers open. And those are low-percentage passes versus, again, timing and rhythm passes, the short passes to set up the running game. The running game is set up that deep throw. Instead, I thought that they missed – opportunities to force Stanford's defense to fan out, okay, where uh, I thought that this was a true test for uh, JT Daniels was this was the first time that he really saw true pressure, and I was curious Mm -hmm. how would he respond and react to it. I I thought that at times he handled it well, but then there were other times where he waited too long for the receiver to get open, and he didn't come off of his read. But then late in the game, Gary, when he threw that interception – I thought that there was an opportunity for him to hit Amon Ross St. Brown in the end zone. Had he just been patient enough to go through his progressions, he would have saw Amon Ross break and then started coming across the field in the end zone, and virtually he would have had an opportunity to connect with them. But I think that because of the way that the game plan was really designed heavily upon him to make plays and throw guys open, I think that it might have overwhelmed him at times to force and press the ball down the field. 
And that's what I saw. And when you start to press, the first thing that starts to collapse is your mechanics, your fundamentals. Because now you're worried about that pressure and you're thinking about everything other than what you should be. There's an old saying that if you see a little, you see a lot. If you see too much, you saw too much. And as a result of that, you tend to make mistakes. You start seeing more things than what you really should see. And so I think with these reps and with these, uh, um, it's a painful experience. But I would rather him learn that early on where he can rebound and recover from it. And, and it didn't, it, it did not, I, I don't think it, um, it uh, diminishes his ability to lead this team. What I think, though, is it forces the coaching staff to reevaluate the game plans going in and how to get him going early so that everybody gets involved. That's going to be so key for the Texas game next week. Uh, okay, I want to flip it over and talk some defense. Uh, I was generally pleased with what the defense did. Uh, if you would have offered me 17 points and 342 yards from Stanford coming into the game, I'd have taken that. Uh, but I think the issue is, and you mentioned two so evenly matched teams who basically played an evenly matched game in so many ways. Uh, the difference was those key plays where, where Stanford yes. executed, had their poise. Boy, that, that love long run to flip the field, the, the, the third and 23, con, third and 23 conversion. And then I really thought that drive at the end of the first half where they just went four plays and marched right into the end zone. Um, yep. That, that was such a difference. But, uh, to talk, talk about those key plays, um, and, and how they impacted things. Okay, Gary, I'm going to have to call you out on this one. Okay? And, and I love you. You and I have known one another for over 20 years. So, I, I think I can, I, I think I'm in my right to call you out. By you saying you were pleasantly surprised by this uh, performance, by the defense, would mean that either you had low expectations for them or, or they're an average bunch and you're pleasantly surprised on how they're able to contain. But for oh, a group if that's I coming back. I, I, oh, I, I meant generally pleased. Generally okay, pleased there we go. Uh, and I'm saw. sorry if I put words in your mouth. Okay. Ah, I, don't, I, I don't know, but yeah, no, 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 that's. Overall, it was a very good game by the defense, I thought. In general, yes. But when when going into the season, the experience lies heavily on your defensive side of the ball. And there is uh-huh. much expectation that because of all of this experience that you are going to lead the team by example. Okay? When for two games now in a row, you you give up fundamentally sound plays because of errors. I have a problem with that. This is a team, this is a group, at the core of the group, the nucleus of this defense have been together long enough where those type of mistakes should not happen. Your, your edge rushers collapsing inside and allowing for a Bryce Love to bounce to the outside. You're giving up those soft edges. That is not the staple of this defense. This defense was always designed to put pressure up front and fan the ball out to force the, uh, the, um, the offensive player to go east and west and allow your speed to, to swarm to the ball. Well, I would agree with you. They played fairly well considering. But when you give up those plays, because of where the offense is in their progression, breaking mm-hmm. in a young quarterback and a JT Daniels, you cannot give up. You have to force those um, your opponent, such as Stanford, to earn their way down the field and beat you the hard way. When you give up those cheap plays, it puts your team in a hole, and now it puts unnecessary stress on you. And that's what I saw. 
But on the flip of that, this defense's ability to react and recover from those type of mistakes and kind of shore things up leads you to believe that the best is yet to come. I thought by far, and I think um, you and I spoke about this prior to uh, our podcast, that uh, for Biggie, uh, Iman Biggie Marshall, this was his greatest test going up against Whiteside, who you know had three touchdowns the week before, holding him under 80 yards receiving and really keeping him in check. I thought this was by far his most complete game. But this is a game um, within a game where the attention to details really reared its ugly head. And, and this game required all 11 players to be fundamentally sound in their tackling and in their run fits. And because we didn't see that, it allowed for Stanford to develop a running game where there shouldn't have been. Yeah, and we saw it on that first drive. It was kind of a bad omen. It was only like a fourth play when, when they got Love outside. And uh, he got outside of both Porter Gustin and Marvell Tell and, and yeah. went for a nice game. And it was like, oh, those are, those are two captains who, who are playing a lot. And if he's getting outside on them, uh, and they, they, they marched down on a very solid eight-play, 83-yard drive to open the game. Now that was, you know, they marched right down the field is what they did. Uh, but then, Daryl, you look at the rest of the game. Overall, Love had that one big run. But outside of that, he averaged under, under four yards a carry. You offer me that, I'll, I'll take that any day. Okay. Um, you, you, you mentioned controlling the interior part of the line of scrimmage. Boy, they are so patient running the ball up the middle. They you, are. You just have to admire, and it goes back to Toby Gerhardt, Christian McCaffrey. Yep. It's just a part of their system. Uh, they do it really well. Uh, like you mentioned, we may not have gotten stacks on Costello, but we got close a bunch of times. That's close. And he had a decent yes. day, but – those numbers don't scare me what he put up. Um, so, so that's where it just gets back to those little things that, uh, like you say, they executed at certain key times. We did not, I want to ask you about one, one position and that's going back to safety. Uh, yeah. we are down three safeties now, Daryl. We're down Bubba, Ikeely, and we lost Isaiah Polamau yesterday. Uh, so we ended up seeing a lot of CJ Pollard and, uh, Talanoa Hufanga. And so just, yeah. uh, both of them had a big play. CJ had one miss, uh, in the open field. But just give me your thoughts on how those guys did, because it might be them moving forward. But but you talk about losing um, the availability of, of Bubba Bowden, uh, Achille Ross, who's no longer on the team, and then, you know, mm-hmm. Isaiah Polamau. Think about it. Every time you go from a potential starter and and you now have to go deeper into the, the, the depth chart to pull a guy mm-hmm. onto the field, what you're losing most is not necessarily athleticism, but what you're losing is the experience experience of game situations and knowing how they're going to react and respond. And because of that, I just think that you're going to see these holes. You're going to see flashes of, wow, why hasn't he been on the field long enough? And then three plays later, you know, perhaps the run fit isn't quite right because he doesn't get those game reps, and you can't simulate game reps with mental game reps, okay? Then you're like, oh, that's why he lacks that type of experience. I mm-hmm. thought the younger two guys I would still lead with C.J. Pollard because I think that he, over time, can be a nice plug. Um, and uh, uh, Hufanga, Hufanga, I think that he is the future of that position, but he's not quite ready to step in uh, for what is expected and, and asked of him. I would mm-hmm. not be surprised, Gary, if you asked Marvell Tell to fill in that strong safety position being how physical he has been over the last uh, few weeks and, and going back from last year, and maybe bring in um, 
uh, Jonathan Lockett at the safety position just to kind of put somebody back there who can cover down when necessary but protect the middle of the field. The strong safety position in this defense is asked to do a lot, and you need somebody smart who's going to come in and make those run fits. Um, they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do about that particular position because I think that it is impacting the overall production of the group. Okay, uh, to end this podcast, Daryl, uh, it's no secret the, the coaches are taking a lot of heat on the message boards today. Um, Want to kind of get your opinion on it? Um, and then go, moving forward to next week, things are not going to get easier. This is another big test. So what are some things, knowing this staff, that you might think they might look to do? Do you think they're just going to say, hey, we're going to do our stuff and continue to go with their game plans? Do you think we might see some subtle adjustments? Uh, what are your thoughts on where things are at right now? Because today is really resonating hard. Well, I think that really it comes down to fundamentals. I think that they're going to have to maybe adjust their approach in practice and hit a little more to get guys accustomed to being um, banged on. Because you go up against uh, the Longhorns, you go going into Austin, you should expect a more physical game. I don't think that they have to uh, just, you know, rip up the game plan or rip up the system and start over. But what I do believe they, they are going to have to do is they're going to have to really evaluate personnel and figure out what makes sense in certain packages and who is best fit to run those systems or run those particular packages. Offensively, I think that with the three-headed monster, sometimes uh, the rotation is catching the uh, plays that should be designed for other players. Mm-hmm. Um, on defense, I think that once they settle in on the safety position, it will allow for this defense to kind of find its groove and rhythm. But the corners, because of the experience that they have, they are going to have to play more aggressive and challenge teams to throw over their head. They're so worried about what happened last year that they're preventing themselves from being competitive this year by keeping the ball in front of them. So overall, if you're asking me what would I focus on, I would go back to basic fundamentals, and in in practice, I would get back to hitting on the days that you are in full paths because I think that that's going to reveal some of the the issues that they're seeing in game situations that they don't have a chance to correct in practice. And then lastly, um, I think that the players are going to have to take more pride in their preparation for the game to make sure that they're mentally dialed in to avoid those errors early in the game that are putting them in a hole and forcing them to have to climb out of. Well, it's going to be interesting. You know, we, we all knew this initial stretch of the season uh, offered some challenges with these two road games. I, I think most Trojan fans, realistically, if you would have said a win at UNLV and then a split in these two games, you'd have taken that. And so, uh, okay, you, you dropped the one, and now it's a matter of going out and getting this one so that you can be two and one uh, moving forward. Uh, we'd be very happy with that. We will see what happens. But I think it's, uh, it's, it offers an interesting challenge for Clay Helton and his staff and this team uh, with where you are at, uh, this is a good football team, but you are now one and one, and uh, th- this could be a real important swing game as you're moving forward for the rest of the season. So, uh, next Saturday night in Austin, Texas, going to be a boy, what an atmosphere that's going to be. We'll both be there, so uh, look forward to that one. So, for Daryl Rideau, this is Gary Pasquitz. You're listening to the We Are SE podcast.